uh, once again to the Word of God. I want you to rest your eyes on, and we're continuing the series, uh, Join God's Blessing Plan, to, to join the blessing plan of God. You got to do it his way. Good to see Sister Vicki in the house. Bye, man. Good to see her. Amen. Praise. Amen, 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 amen. We love her. We do. We do. We read in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you again for the privilege of coming before you in prayer. Now speak, God, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If the fan in the ceiling is on, could you turn that off? Amen. And no, no, no. The, the light switch, one of the light switches. Yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the next one over, bro. No. Next. Yeah, the next switch, all the one that's by itself. Yeah, the one that switched this by itself. Amen. We still praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Uh, that should be on one. Shouldn't that be on one? Amen. Ain't got to get everything just right for the pastor. Amen. Sinuses. Uh, have a way of taking over. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're continuing, as I've already said, a series, Join God's Blessing Plan. God doesn't bless a mess. We've learned that. And the blessing that God will allow us to be a part of requires that you put some skin in the game, some skin in the game. And I could have continued that series because... Uh, when we talk about tithing and giving, uh, the conviction of that kind of sermon has a short lifespan. But as we are making our way to get to that next place of ministry, we don't want to go there getting ready. We need to be ready. And a part of how we're going to get ready is to get some skin in the game. Be faithful in your tithing. Be faithful in your tithing. Be faithful in your love offerings. Be faithful. God honors that. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot receive. That's what God says. And when we are disobedient to that command, uh, bring the tithes into the house of the Lord, God says, I will curse you. I will curse you. And we talked about that on last week. Moving on today. And uh, I was um, troubled when I watched the news the other day, and I'm becoming more and more selective about how much time I spend listening to the news. But a brother was visiting the gravesite of a younger brother who had died unexpectedly at a cemetery behind a church that was a Ukrainian congregation. And when he got there, he was shocked to discover that the gravestones had been knocked over. 
Some of the graves themselves had been disturbed and desecrated. And even the urns where the ashes of people who had died were placed in that cemetery, they had, the urns had been busted and the ashes blown in the wind. And he kept asking the question, where is the respect? Where is the respect? Where has respect gone? Is there no respect even for the dead? Now, as I watched it, I asked the same question because we have become a society that frowns on showing respect to others unless it's a macho thing, looked at me hard, you didn't walk around me the right way, and you ain't going to disrespect my manhood. Or it's some ridiculous demand for total inclusion, that you have to agree with everybody and accept everybody. But if you don't agree and accept everybody, then the contradiction is you should accept the fact that you, because you accept everybody, you should accept the fact that I don't agree with everybody, that everything is okay. It's ridiculous. You can lose your job because you don't agree with someone's lifestyle or to call a man by a chosen identity uh, title uh, when everything about that person says, don't come into my bathroom, go into your own bathroom because you don't belong here. You aren't being disrespected when your lifestyle violates the word of God and I take a different position. Let God be true and every man be a liar. We have to contend, fight for the faith. A child... And, 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 and as I reflect on my own experience as a child, we were taught to respect adults. You call older men mister and, and women miss, even when they didn't act like it. Uh, that's what we were required to do. We were supposed to say thank you or I'm sorry or may I please. When's the last time you heard, please? Uh, a brother was, he just spent about $400 of groceries before they banned plastic uh, bags. Uh, and he was leaving uh, the grocery store. And he, as he was paying the money, he said, you could say thank you. And the uh, clerk said, it's written on the bag. <laughs> it, it, it's written on the bag. <laughs> I want you to understand that respect is not just a good idea. It is a command that is given to us in the very word of God. Romans chapter 13, verse 2 says, Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will he bring judgment on them. He will bring judgment on those who resist respecting, honoring, submitting to those who God has appointed as authorities over us. God says, I require 
disrespect. As believers in Christ, we must avoid disrespecting what we call Holy Communion. And it was interesting to me, and the Lord just put it on my heart, for two reasons to share this today, aside from the fact that it is Holy Communion, is that where we come from, Christian Stronghold, the most well-attended service was always Holy Communion. And sometimes people didn't come to any other church service, but they made it to Communion. And it dawned on me that one of the things that I may have failed to do is to really teach about why it's important that we come to communion. I spent years in church and never knew what communion meant and why we did it. I know that the pastor got dressed up in a special outfit on that day, and the deacons all had white on, and the, and the uh Deaconesses, all they were, they were, I didn't understand. And so you may be here today saying, oh, I understand, I've been in communion. And, and then that's a problem because it's become perfunctory to you. It's just another thing you do. But what the Lord wants us to be mindful of is the sacredness of the sacraments. We don't want to forget that what we are doing when we partake of the elements, that it is nothing short of holy and is to be set apart as something that the church does with a soberness of mind because we know that when we do so, it is not only worship, but it is honoring God. And so I just want to share two things today about remembering the sacredness of the sacraments and not forgetting. And I want to share some things that we ought to know, we ought to know as our primary focus is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's so much that goes in to how the Holy Spirit superintended the Apostle Paul to write 1 Corinthians 11 because of the foolish, ungodly behavior that was going on in the church in the name of the Lord, that Paul had to, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 34, is a rebuke to the church for how they were dishonoring, disrespecting the Lord's table. And I actually have been in churches where uh, I was taking the communion juice from the deacon's hand, and he was wrestling with me because at this church, the deacons handle the juice, and at that church, the deacons handle the bread. And so we get all caught up in how the table looks and, and how people are dressed and, 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 and the songs that we sing. All of, the, all of those trappings are symbols, but it's the purpose behind what the symbols represent. It's that, what, that is what we need to take seriously. So the first question that I want to answer is, what is a sacrament? What does the word sacrament mean? And the word sacrament comes from the Latin word sacramentas or sacramentum. And a sacrament is something that is viewed as sacred or holy in character or having a mysterious significance or sign or token of a symbol or symbol. So a sacrament is, 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 is in this case, it's a ritual that we, that we perform in the, in the instance of communion. We have the bread and the wine, 
And the bread and the wine represent something that's significant or mysterious, in this case, the body and the blood of Christ. And it's a symbol, it's a symbol, it's a symbol, it's a symbol, it's a symbol. It's a picture, it's not the person. And that's important because you go to some churches and they believe that there's what's called transubstantiation, and that means that when you eat the bread and drink the wine, that, there's a, that something supernatural occurs, that the bread and the wine literally become the, the physical body and blood of Christ. And the more you partake of communion, the more you are partaking of Jesus. And if you don't partake of the literal blood and body of Christ through the act of the sacrament or the Eucharist, that is the one thing that can keep you out of heaven. And so salvation is attached when people teach the false doctrine that the bread and the wine actually are the body, the body and the blood. These are representations of the body and the blood of Christ. If I gave you a picture of me and said, just, just to remember your pastor, I want you to put this on your, on your Facebook page, put this on, on, the, on your phone, and then you, he says, whenever you get lonely, et cetera, just look at my picture and get real frightened. You, you would not say, I got the pastor. He's here with me. And then just, just, just let me show you the pastor. Get him, pastor. Get him, pastor. The picture is just a representation. The bread and wine ain't getting nobody, but the bread and the wine represents the Jesus who is able to get what we need in terms of giving us access to God. And so it's a picture, not the person, that we are acknowledging when we are taking the sacraments, the elements, the, the wine and the bread, sacred, holy. It's just regular crackers and bread, but because we pray over it and because of what it symbolizes, the, the, the act of praying over it makes it holy, makes it consecrated, it makes it sanctified or set apart. So we don't just treat the bread and the wine, even though it's Welch's. We don't just treat it like it's ordinary Welch's in the same way that when, when Moses was walking on the road uh, uh, in, in the desert for, for 40 years, the same road, he traveled on that road. But on the, on the day that God showed up in the burning bush and the bush was not consumed, the God speaking to Moses through the bush, he said, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. Because something has transformed here. Something is different here. My presence is here now. It's holy ground. And so when we partake of the bread and the wine, we are recognizing that this has been sanctified. It's been prayed over. It has been consecrated and set apart to the Lord. And so there's some examples that might help us about what, sacrament, what, what God believes is sacred. sacred. Marriage is sacred. God created marriage. He is the originator. He is the architect. He's the, he's the one who made the blueprint, and he chose Adam, and, and then he caused Adam to go into a deep sleep, and he brought to Adam a woman, and, he, and, and, and in that, that union, he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. God has decided that marriage is sacred because it is holy unto God. And God says, let no man separate what I've joined, because marriage is holy. Marriage is holy. Human life is holy. Thou shall not kill. We got a, we got a, a killing field in Philadelphia. 
No regard for the sacredness of life. Sex is sacred. That's why God has set it apart to be experienced only in the context of marriage. That's a whole series of sermons about what happens when you join yourself with somebody. You are actually joined with them. You become one with them. And the heartbreak is after you've joined yourself with someone sexually and then they decide they're going somewhere else, spiritually, from God's perspective, you've married that person. And so the Scripture says that's the only sin that is against our body. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll move on from there. Uh, the tithe is, is, is sacred. It's a, and the Bible says the tithe and everything, that, that, everything from the land, whether grain uh, from the soil or uh, fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It's holy. Your tithe is sacred. It should be consecrated and set apart for God. It's something that you shouldn't mess with. Read in the scripture how Uzzah, one of uh, the men that was assigned by David to move the Ark of the Covenant, which he was not anointed to do. It was the job of the Levites to move and transport the Ark of the Covenant. They were responsible for taking care of, a, of, the, of the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was not just anybody volunteering. And the scripture says in, first Samuel, in, in, first, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that Uzzah, who was helping with the movement of the Ark, he touched the Ark to study it because the Ark was falling off. And the Bible says that Uzzah was killed that day by the Lord. The Lord killed him. Because he touched that which was sacred. He touched that which he was not anointed to touch. And the Bible says that David was terrified of God that day. The body, your body is sacred. The Bible said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Lord and the spirit dwells in you? If anyone defiles the body, he said, that temple will I destroy, will I judge. And so your body, the church, is sacred. The pastor... Bible says, touch not my anointed, neither do them harm. Even when they're rascals, 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 you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, like King Saul, uh, the office of elder, that's a sacred call of God that should be respected. Deacons are sacred, set apart as officers in the church. For God, I believe all of us in some way, if you have, all of us have a call on our life, and the call on our life that God has gifted us for, that too is sacred. You should not abuse your gifts. And so the call of God is sacred on our life. Now, how many ordinances should the church observe? Now, in the scriptures, an ordinance is a rule, a regulation. It is a requirement. It's something that is mandated. Just like if you drive 100 miles an hour and you get pulled over, the, the law that you broke is based on an ordinance that was predetermined by, a figure, uh, uh, by, in this case, our judicial system. An ordinance for the church is a rule or regulation that the Lord has established that his followers are expected to obey. And so we have in the church, based on the scriptures, at least two ordinances, two mandates, two requirements that the church is supposed to obey. And so when you're not, so one of the ordinances is, is baptism. 
In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, Go into the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a command. That's a mandate. It's not optional. It's not, it's not multiple choice. And so baptism is a requirement for every believer. We don't get baptized to be saved, but because we're saved, we respond to the command of Christ to be baptized in obedience. Baptism is an outward expression that you've already been changed on the inside. Baptism from Romans chapter 6 verses 2 through 5, it tells us that it is a, it is a, it is a, it is a, it symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So when we, when Jesus was buried, we were buried with him. When he died, we, we died with him. And then when he, he rose on the third day, like when we come up through submersion and immersion, the Bible teaches submersion. Jesus was dipped. He was not sprinkled. He was dipped. And so we practice the, the, the right of submersion and immersion because that is the model that Christ set for us by his own example. We do not baptize babies. Because a baby does not have the ability to respond to the gospel in an intelligent way to receive Jesus. And so baptism is for born-again believers. Some churches will sprinkle babies. Some churches will uh, do other dedic—actually, they call it baptism. And, 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 and that actually says to the family that somehow this is a way of guaranteeing that the child ultimately will become a member of the faith or, or, or somehow sets them apart. That doesn't set a child apart. There's no example in the Bible where Jesus ever baptized a child. What we do is we dedicate children. We give them back to the Lord in the same way that Hannah gave Samuel back to the Lord and how Jesus says, suffer the little children and, and forbid them not, let them come to me. And Jesus blessed the children. He, he held them. He, he prayed for them. And he said, such is the kingdom of God. If you don't enter into heaven like a little child, and you will know, in no wise enter in. And so Jesus loved children, but he never baptized one. Now, one of the things that is interesting to me is that it was even when we were pagans in the world, one time we're going to come to churches and we got a little baby. That baby going to come and be dedicated. We're going to bring that baby. And that's one of the most uh, opportune times to, to preach a gospel sermon because people come to church to see their grandbaby. Baby's kids, to get them baptized, get, uh, get them dedicated. And so, so one of the ordinances in the church is baptism by submersion and immersion because that is the example John baptized in the Jordan. And so do you, is it ever wrong to get immersed or, or sprinkled or have water poured over you? Uh, I've, I've baptized people where they were breathing their last breath. And they couldn't get in. They could not physically be emerged. But they were so concerned that they had left one thing out. They pleaded, would you please baptize me before I die? I've done that. But that's the exception. And what we understand is the idea is that this person, first and foremost, knows Jesus. And as a born-again believer, you should be baptized. I got baptized in 1978 
uh, I believe, uh, or even before then. I didn't even, I didn't know Jesus. I joined the church. I was a deacon, a deacon in training. I didn't know Jesus. I knew religion. I wanted to know Jesus, but I was a good sinner on my way to hell because I didn't do some of the things that, quote, unquote, bad sinners did. People assume I went to church. So I'm like, no, no, no. Church doesn't save you. You must, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become the sons and the daughters of God. You must accept Christ as your personal Savior. So in 1980, while I was a seminary student, my last year at Dallas Seminary, I said, somebody's going to baptize me. And so I got baptized by my professor. So I was baptized twice. First time I went down as a dry devil and came up as a wet devil. <laughs> You need to be baptized if you have not been. And we are actually offer training here if you need questions answered. But the second, the second ordinance or mandate or requirement of Christ is, is what we call Holy Communion. They, it, you won't find Holy Communion in the Bible. You'll find the Lord's Supper. You'll find the Agape Feast. You'll find the Love Feast because the com- communion as we understand it didn't happen the way we do it. When they did it, they had a party. Everybody brought food. They came to hang out. They, they sang together. It was, a, it, was, it was a celebration. It was a feast. The problem was that there were people in the church who were well, as well off as others, and so they didn't have food to bring. I actually had a woman in the church tell me when she, she was, uh, was in the room counting money, one of the counters, she said, well, People that don't tithe shouldn't get, <laughs> if we have special functions in the church, they shouldn't get cake. They should. I said, I, I said, you don't need to be working in that room. <laughs> no, dear. No, that's not your ministry. <laughs> but th- th- that is the way that some of these Corinthian believers were behaving. If you don't bring nothing, you ain't getting nothing. And so there are people there who would come for the feast, and they w- there would be nothing there for them to eat. And they didn't have welters. They had real wine. That's a part of Jewish culture. Now, the Bible says be, it doesn't say that it's wrong to drink. It says be not drunk with wine. Here, some of you all say, yeah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> what you got in that cup, sis? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But they would come. And they would literally get inebriated on the wine. So by the time communion was finally over, they were just, they were, they were just fit to be tied. And so Paul writes to them. And so Holy Communion, Holy Communion is the second of the ordinances given to the church that we are required, commanded, mandated to do. You shouldn't miss communion. You should be here for communion, or if you can't get here, you need to have your communion cups and, and your, your cracker or, and, and be prepared because the Bible says as often as you partake, you are honoring Christ. You are honoring the ordinance that he established, and to disobey is to be outside of God's clearly declared will. Every Christian should partake of communion. I was at a church in Dallas. We had communion every Sunday, every Sunday night. They had two services. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we need to do. 
because the Bible says as often as you do. It doesn't say how often, but you should do it. There are churches that only have communion once a year. I don't agree with that. But when you do it, you should do it understanding that the Bible says as often as you do, you're showing forth the Lord's death until he comes. And so the two ordinances of the church is one, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, why should you, aside from what I've already said, in, in Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20, write this down. I'm going to read this scripture to you. This is the word of God. I want you as a church to be in the habit of not only following the pastor or whoever your teacher is, if you can't because you get behind because the pastor continues to move on. That's why you need to come to Bible study. You can stop me. You can come to Sunday school, and, and you, you can stop in dialogue. You can't do that on a Sunday morning. Don't do that anyway. Uh, once you exegeting, pulling out of the text what God has said. Listen to what Jesus said. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, take this and divide it amongst you, the bread. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, his second coming. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. We often say the body that, Jesus, that was broken. Jesus' body was not broken. That's one, when you look in your English text, you'll see, a, a, new, you'll see a, a, a footnote next to the word broken. It's not in the original text. If his body had been broken, the scriptures would have been broken. It was predicted that not a bone of his body would be broken. The symbolism is that when Jesus voluntarily died, in that sense, he was broken. But don't use the word that his body was broken because it was not, not a bone. They came to break his legs, but they pierced him in the side, and the blood and the water came out, and that indicated to them, we don't need to speed up his death. He's already dead. But they didn't realize that in, in, even in doing that act of cruelty, of piercing him in the side to prove that he was dead, that they were fulfilling Scripture. They were fulfilling scripture, even unwillingly and unknowingly. He says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, the cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Say, poured out for you. It's so interesting to me on that last day in John chapter 13, when Jesus instituted the last supper, that he washed all of the disciples' feet. All 12 of them, they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Oh, Jesus said he's going to Jerusalem, and his kingdom's about to come. And then, and, and, and you remember uh, 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 James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their, mom, their moms snuck up to Jesus and bowed there. Let me worship Christ. Let me celebrate him. Let me say a couple of hallelujah, hosannas. And then Jesus said, what you really want? And she said, when you get in your kingdom, see these two brothers right here, these sons of mine. These macho spiritual giants that are hiding behind my apron and put me up to doing this, would you allow them to sit on your right hand and on your left hand side? Then after Jesus rebuked her and them, the Bible says that the other 10 disciples started praying. No, they got into they almost got into a fist fight. And Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, it shall not be this way. Matthew, this is Matthew 21, for those of you who want to know uh, where, where I'm taking this from. 
And so he did something that just, Peter just got totally confused. Jesus took a pail of water and, a, and put a, 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 a towel around his waist, and he began to wash their feet. And Peter said, you ain't washing my feet. He said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to be a part of what I'm doing because you're going to follow this example. But the point is that even though Jesus washed the feet of the 12, one of the 12 did not get communion. He didn't give Judas communion. Before Judas took communion, Judas, Jesus said, one of you is going to forsake me. And he said, is it I? He said, yep, you the dude. You the guy. And he took off, and the Bible says that, 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 that Satan filled his heart, and he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of gold. But Jesus washed Judas' feet at the Last Supper without serving him communion. What I'm saying is that communion is for believers. If you've never put your trust in Christ, it's not just a nice thing to do. It's not just a religious thing to do. Well, my friend did it, so I'm going to do it. And she's my child, and because she's my child, I don't want her to feel left out. No, leave her out, because the Bible says examine yourself and don't dishonor the sacraments. Don't take the, the, the elements in a way that, that disrespects the Lord. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So why should we do it? It's commanded. Do this. Do this. Not question this, do this. So if you don't have anything else on your calendar about if I'm going to be at church one day of the month, it's going to be on Communion Sunday. And guess what? This thing might become contagious. You get here on Communion Sunday, you get so blessed, you, go, <laughs> you, you might actually come two Sundays in a month. It's also for correction. He said, let a man examine himself. I used to sit in the pew. They moved, they passed the communion cups around, and I wouldn't take it. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was going to do when I left church, too. And the pastor said, you're drinking damnation to your soul. That's not what the Greek word is. It's judgment. And then it tells you specifically some of you sleep, some of you are sick, some of you are weak. That's, that's the judgment. Not eternal damnation, because if you're saved, there's therefore what? No more condemnation to those who are what? In Christ. We can't lose our salvation, but we can definitely lose our reward. We can definitely come under the chastening hand of the Lord. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. And so this is for believers. It's a time to examine yourself. So when I sit in communion and the cup is passed, and I decide because of what I'm doing, I'm not going to take it, what you're actually saying, I'm going to continue to do it. But when you, when you examine yourself, you say, no, you know what? I'm sick. I'm going to take a pill so that I can feel better. I'm going to examine. I'm going to acknowledge that this is wrong in my life. I'm going to confess it, and my intention is, is I'm not going to do it again. So communion gives you an opportunity for correction. It also gives you an opportunity for cleansing. The Bible says, if you confess your sin, he's what? Come on, turn. He is what? Faithful, just. To forgive us of all, how many, all of our sins, and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only is it correction in response to the command, now I can get cleansing. Hallelujah. I messed up, but I can get up. The, the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And even when I fall, I will not utterly be destroyed. I'm going to confess this thing. 
So it can bring cleansing, and it also is a time of connection. Forsake not the assembling together. It's an opportunity for us to be. It's, there's one body but many members. And I will never become all that I could become without you. And you will never become all that you could be without me. That's why we gather. Communion is a time of connection and cleansing, correction, and obedience. It's also a time of celebration. This is a time when they would literally have a good laughing. And how, you know how we used to go and hug each other before COVID. Shake somebody's hand, and we had to tell everybody, okay, it's time to start church now. Go, go back to the next part, church, because that's church, too. A little boy uh, was staying with his grandparents in Texas, and uh, his first time he stayed with his grandparents, they decided to take him to church, and he got to church, and uh, all of a sudden, when they're standing in front of the doors, the doors are uh, going into the sanctuary closed, the little boy, little six-year-old boy, he just took off running. Well, where is he going? And so they finally corralled him and got him and thought he was dragging, refusing. Please don't take me in. Please don't take me in. And they say, why? Why? And he pointed to a plaque that was, that was, that was uh, posted above the sanctuary doors. It had the names of 20 people. And it said, these are the brothers and sisters who died in service. Died in service. They, he was going, <laughs> they were taking him into the service, and he thought if he went in there, that like them, he too was going to die. Okay, all right, all right. I, I'll keep my day job. Ch church ought to be an enjoyable experience as we are celebrating together the presence of the Lord. Somebody say, let me finish up with this. Here's some things that we need to do as we are partaking of the table. First thing that we need to do, we need to look back. In verses 23 through 26, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Look back. Look back at what? Look back at the cross. Look back at what Jesus suffered on our behalf. Look back at the fact that he died. Look back, look back. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He said the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Look back at how he never said he could have come down, but he didn't come down. He was hanging there for you. He looked beyond the pain of the cross, and he saw you, and he saw me. So look back at what Jesus did for us. But we also need to look ahead. Jesus says, you do this in remembrance of me until I come. Until I come. So I'm looking ahead. I'm looking back. But great be to God, he's coming back. Oh, he said, I'm coming back like a thief in the night. When you least expect it, be ye always ready. Are you ready? Are your bags packed? It could be today. I don't know. But the Bible says until he comes back, let's remember what he did. So we want to look ahead. We also want to look within. He said, examine yourself. 
You may not have done something that is all terrible, like, like when I said, you know, the stuff I used to do. I know I ain't do what he used to do. But the Bible says all have sinned. Mm-hmm. Guess who that includes? Mm-hmm. All of us do sin. And so one of the things that we get to do is not only to look back and to look ahead, but we can look within. Examine yourself. Let the Holy Spirit shine the light. David says, uh, talked about this. He says, so then whoever, uh, when he talks about, Lord, if there be anything that is not like you, shine the light of the Spirit of God on it. Are we good? Are we good? We almost done. Then he says, look around. So I'm looking back. I'm looking ahead. I'm looking within. But I'm also looking around. Is there somebody in the fellowship that has a need? Is there somebody hurting? Is, is there a word of kindness that I can share? Is there somebody that needs an embrace? Can I bless somebody with, 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 some, with, with a couple dollars in their pocket? Can somebody be invited to my home? Can I, can I be an instrument in the hand of the Lord as I'm looking around? I'm not sending anybody away from the church worse than they were before they came to church. No one should ever leave worse off. Oh, not under my watch, but more importantly, under the watch of the Holy Spirit. You should come. To, I used to go to church just to have somebody shake my hand. I knew when I went to Stronghold, somebody was going to open the door for my wife. That was one time I wouldn't have to. Anyway, but somebody would open the door for my wife. Somebody was going to greet her. I'm talking about the, the like they had the uh, mighty men. We got the Christ strong men. You knew that there's one place. That's why I keep going back to Chick-fil-A. Ain't that the chicken that good? I actually think McDonald's is better, but the, I don't, the service doesn't compare. I go there for people to say, how can I serve you? I go there for the smiles. I go there because those people act like they care. They may not, but they act like they care. And so when you have a church that understands that the, that the sacraments are sacred, you're going to look around and you're going to do whatever you can to allow the light of Christ to shine through you that others will want what you have. And that's none other than Jesus Christ himself. A man from the newspaper was visiting, stand with me, he was visiting an insane asylum. And he noticed that for every 20 resident that was, was diagnosed as being criminally insane, that means they're violent, for every one staff there was 20, uh, 20 uh, inmates or uh, patients, patients. And he was getting a little nervous. I used to work in the psych ward, and my greatest concern was that when it was time for me to leave, they weren't going to let me out. Because I didn't look any different from anybody in that room. And so he's like getting a little nervous. He said, well, he's trying to figure out how he can shorten his little interview. And he asked the question. He said to the two guards, to the 40, he said, aren't you a little nervous? That people that have been diagnosed as criminally insane, murderers, rapists, aren't you a little nervous that they will attack you and harm you? Say, oh, no, no, we don't get nervous. So why not? Because lunatics don't unite. 
when I thought about that, one of the times that we get to show unity, irregardless to our family background, our financial background, our educational background. It's during communion. We get to celebrate the death and the burial of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to acknowledge by our oneness that we belong to him. Only lunatics. Finish it off for me. Don't unite. I don't think anybody in here is criminally insane. But if we turn our attention to being obedient to the word of God, then we can unite around the causes that are clearly set forth in the scriptures. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah!